so excited and glad you were here uh, to worship with us this morning. It's a very special service. Uh, we had an awesome weekend with our students. So many great things uh, to talk about. I could go on for a long time, but we're really excited uh, to have you all here. If you're a guest, if you're a visitor for the first time, this is a, a great uh, weekend to have you as a visitor. Uh, in your bulletin that hopefully you received at one of the entrances, uh, there's a tab in there. We'd love for you to fill that out. Just let us know that uh, that you came, and if you need anything for prayer, if there's a ministry you're looking to serve in, if there's some way that we can serve you, we would love uh, to do that. So let us know. We want to uh, we want to hear from you, so you can hear from us and, and how we can serve you as well. Uh, and, and just are so excited that you're all here this morning. I'd like to introduce uh, the band. Ben Noble is leading the band this morning. Uh, they came out from Oklahoma. Ben and I we go way back. I've known him since kindergarten. We played coach pitch. Uh, in kindergarten, we had the same kindergarten class. We went, we graduated together uh, from little old Lulaga, Oklahoma. So uh, this whole band, they came from different parts of Oklahoma uh, to be here this weekend. And Ben is going to lead us in worship this morning. So uh, I'll let him take it away. Well, good morning. We had an awesome weekend with your students. I mean, just such a wonderful time of worship with your students. extend that out this morning. We're going to sing a song called Oh Praise in the Name. First off, if you don't mind, if you'd like to, you can stand with us and sing this out.
may be seated. You may be seated. We're going to take up offering at this time. Let's pray. Lord, we give our gifts to you because you are the worthy king. Lord, as, as we are here today gathered as your church, uh, may the offerings we bring be, be 
pleasant, uh, a sweet aroma to you uh, with hearts ready and prepared to give. Uh, God, we give you thanks for all the blessings uh, that flow from you and the kind heart of our glorious King. Amen. this time I'd like to introduce our preacher for this morning. Uh, Joshua, Joshua McClellan uh, is a dear friend of mine, a, a, a father in the faith. Uh, during my college years in Oklahoma, uh, he poured into my life. Uh, so it's an honor to have him here uh, speaking to our students. He spoke into our students' lives this weekend with the truth of God's word, and I am confident above all that that is what he'll do this morning. Uh, for the church. He will be preaching the word. So we're so excited and glad to have him here. Josh is a pastor currently uh, in Blanchard, Oklahoma, and he is currently in the process of, of planning a church, the beginning steps of planning a church. So uh, his, his passion is for the local church, uh, above all. Uh, Josh is very, I, yeah, I'm not, this isn't for the point of flattery, uh, but Josh is very gifted in a lot of ways. Uh, but, you know, he, he could go preach at, or he could go teach at any seminary if he wanted to, uh, but his passion is for the church. His passion is for uh, the people of God and, and, and drawing them to the Lord through God's word alone. So we are very blessed to have Josh McClellan here this morning. I hope he's a blessing to you. I know uh, to our students he's been. So Josh, uh, go ahead and come forward at this time and uh, let us hear the word of God. Well, good morning, church. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. I've done that much before, but there we go. Oh, 
maybe. Yes. Let's go, let's just start our time together this morning by seeking the Lord in prayer. So pray with me if you would. Father, your son is worthy to be exalted in this place and in our lives and in our hearts this morning. So I pray that you would send your spirit here and that he would move and work in our lives, that he would do spiritual work in our hearts, things that only he can do, we cannot do ourselves. We pray that as your word goes forth, that it would go forth in power because it is a living word and it is true always. And so we pray that it would speak and change us this morning, God. We thank you for the gift of your word. What a true gift it is to have your word in our hands this morning in this place. I pray that we would take this opportunity seriously. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I've had a wonderful time here in Lexington uh, with your students. I've been to Lexington one other time, and that was to perform Zach's wedding about a little over a year ago. And uh, it's a beautiful city. Um, I, I wish I had more time just to drive around and see Lexington. I've spent a lot of time in Louisville, but uh, not a lot in Lexington, but I've sure enjoyed my time here this weekend. And uh, most importantly, aside from all of that, um, to do spiritual work, to be here with your students and to teach God's word and to be a part of what God is doing. And God has been doing some really uh, serious, real things in, I think, the lives of not only your students here, but also some other churches that joined us this weekend. And so uh, it's been a great weekend. Uh, I hope you get a chance to hear from your students in the coming weeks just the things that God uh, is doing in their lives. And, and by the way, it's always a good day when we break out the baptismal waters, isn't it? Man, that's the best way to start a service. I was pumped over there, sitting down and just being a part of that and watching that um, and as the band played. This morning what I'd like to do is examine a few verses of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5. This weekend, uh, we have sort of run with the theme of royalty. And so each session has sort sort of kind of fallen under that arc of royalty And we started the first night with the idea that God is king. Listen, God reveals himself in scripture as many things. He reveals himself as father. He reveals himself as friend. He reveals himself as counselor. He reveals himself as judge. All of these things. But predominantly, more than anything else, scripture reveals God as king and Lord. So to know him is to know him as king. Which is a challenge for us today because, quite frankly, we live in a world where there aren't very many kings. Understanding the idea of kingship is something that might be challenging for some of us. And so uh, we examined Isaiah chapter 6 and this vision of God as king. The next morning we looked at the idea of Christ as king and we examined the gospels and looked at the authority and power of Jesus at work in his biographies in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we see that Jesus is king. And then last night we looked at this idea that not only is God king and his son Christ king and ruling over all things, but in the work of salvation, he actually adopts us into his family, which makes us co-heirs with Jesus of everything that is his. We now become a part of God's royal family. So everything that is Christ's, which is everything, The universe and all that it contains becomes ours. 
which is an astounding thought, is it not? An astounding thought. And so that's what we looked at last night. And this morning, that flows really well into this final message, which is about the idea of kingdom living. What does life in the kingdom of God, where he rules and he reigns and we are citizens, what does that life look like? And so we're going to go right to Kingdom Life 101 in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And as much as I would love to teach for hours and hours through all of the amazing things that are said by Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, we're just going to look at a few verses in the time that we have. And those verses are going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 41. Before we read those, I just want to say uh, quickly as well that you know, the idea of kingdom, again, kind of like the word king, I mean, we don't see a lot of nations that are called kingdoms. I mean, you find a few, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, they use that, and a few other countries around the world will use the word kingdom, but we just don't use that word. We don't say the kingdom of America, the kingdom of Mexico, the kingdom of Canada. But that was the word that they would have used back then when they translated the Bible into English that most of us have. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and so... Really, the word kingdom just means nation, country. So Jesus is here establishing that I have come to create a new nation, a new country, where I rule and where there is a distinct, clear way of life, a way of doing things. We do things by a certain rule. We have certain laws. We create a certain kind of culture. We have a certain kind of expectation. The way we live is different than other kingdoms. I remember distinctly, uh, I've traveled in, uh, to, to a lot of places around the world. I remember distinctly after going to China for a couple of weeks some years ago, that when I came home and got off of the airplane, just into the terminal and the gate, and just being there at the airport, like being back on like American soil, it felt different than being in China. And I felt like, man, I am home. Like, it felt different. Like, this is my home. Like, this is my country. And I especially remember as I got off that plane, craving a burger. <laughs> I'm a burger guy. Like, I love burger. If you gave me one last meal, it's going to be a burger. And I, I've traveled to a lot of places around the world, and I've discovered personally that, listen, you can get a good steak in lots of places around the world. You can get a good pizza. You can get a lot of different kinds of good food. No one does burgers like America. You with me? We, like, we own the copyright on a great burger. No one does burgers like we do. And so as a proud American, I would get off that plane, finally at home, and find the first burger I could find. Because that's America. It's my, it's my country. It's what I know. It's my home. Jesus says, listen. If you are a citizen of my kingdom, then there is a distinct way of life in the ways that we live. There is, a, there is a different kind of rule. There is a different kind of culture. We do things differently here in my kingdom than in other kingdoms. Jesus lays that out very clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount lays out this picture of a radical new world and a radically different way to live compared to the kingdoms of this world. It teaches peace, it teaches purity, it teaches faithfulness, integrity, forgiveness, generosity, 
trust, humility, service, kindness, all of these things are things laid out by Jesus in these three chapters of Scripture. And make no mistake, the things he taught were radically different than the way that people thought about life in the first century at that time. We're going to look at a passage that is very much like that in verses 38 through 41. So let's read them together and then unpack them. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, this is a passage many of your Bibles may use the word retaliation as a heading for these verses. Not an inappropriate word. But let me just say something really quickly here before we even dig into this passage. That there have been some Christians through the centuries who have used these verses to argue for what we would call pacifism. The idea that we always take a non-violent approach to things as Christians. Um, And some have argued for that. However, the dominant view through church history is one that has not taken that position. That the Bible would make a case for what we would call just war theory. That there are certain situations and circumstances where that is the correct thing to do. And that this passage does not speak completely, comprehensively, to this how we live our lives in that regard. That the Bible would say that there are situations and occurrences where defending oneself is appropriate and right. I would adhere to that position. I do not believe these verses are making a blanket statement that say on every occasion that is the case. On the rare occasion where it is right for us to do that, we do that. However, the overarching commitment of our lives when we are attacked is the things he lays out for us in these verses. And he gives us three examples. He says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was what most people were accustomed to. Quite frankly, we live in that kind of world, don't we? Someone comes after us, what do we do? We come back after them. Jews of the first century would have held to the same idea. And they would have held to it even stronger, in, in an even stronger way than we do. To understand this passage appropriately, and quite frankly, to understand the Gospels appropriately, you have to understand the the nature of what's called honor and shame in culture. Now, most of the cultures and nations around the world are honor-shame cultures. We are not an honor-shame culture. Uh, There's no way you can understand the story of the prodigal son unless you understand honor and shame. There's no way you can appreciate the audacity of Jesus eating with a, with a tax collector like Zacchaeus or a prostitute or an unclean person unless you understand the nature of honor and shame in this particular culture at that time. And so this was a powerful shaper of the way people lived life socially with one another. We want to avoid shame and disgrace before people at all costs. It is a supreme virtue to be honorable. We want to pursue honor and stature and status socially among those around us. I remember one time when I was in China, there was a young man who was a college student. Chinese culture is a strong honor-shame culture. 
And this young man had invited us after we had been there sharing the gospel at a college university and, and uh, meeting with students. And he invited us to come and to come back to his campus and play basketball with them. And we said, sure. And we walked up to, we, 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 we made the journey to his campus and we walked up to the gate and he tried to get us in and the guard would not let us in to go play basketball on campus uh, where he was a student. And so he pleaded with this guy, <laughs> he offered him money, this guy just wouldn't let us on campus. And this student came back with tears in his eyes saying, I'm sorry, um, we can't play basketball like I said that we could. And we said, that's no big deal, no problem, it's not a big deal. But it was a big deal in an honor-shame culture because he gave his word that we would do something, now he couldn't follow through on that. And so this was the kind of thing that would bring shame on him, especially before Americans, that he couldn't fulfill his word to us. We don't function quite like that. But that's what honor and shame do. Honor and shame would have been supremely important things at this time. And so honor-shame very much affects the way we look at a passage like this. For the sake of your honor, if someone has taken an eye or a tooth, what do you do? You take theirs in order to reclaim your honor. This is right. This is good. This is virtuous. This is the way they would have operated. And Jesus said, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And here he gives his first example. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, here's what's going on here. Most people, almost everybody at that time in their culture were right-handed. So to slap someone on the right cheek means that you backhand them. To backhand someone was a clear and visible sign of shaming them. In our terminology, them's fighting words, so to speak. When someone backhands you on the right cheek, that's not just I'm mad at you. That is before the entire community an act of shame on the person that's been slapped. So what is now the appropriate thing to do for the slapped person? The right thing to do in their minds, culturally, is to reclaim your honor by slapping him back. That's the right thing to do. That's what you do. What does Jesus say do? Turn to him the other also. So they would look at Jesus and say, so what you're telling me is to let him dishonor me again? And Jesus would say yes. Why? Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus command such a thing of his people? That makes no sense. This person has embarrassed us. They have mocked our name. They have destroyed our reputation. Should we not? And unjustly, this person wants to work evil against us. Should we not come back and reclaim our name, reclaim our honor, reclaim our reputation when it has been taken from us wrongly, unjustly? Jesus says no. And here's why I think Jesus says no. Because to reclaim our honor would be to shame them. And we do not, as citizens of Jesus' kingdom, seek to shame others. 
We seek to elevate others. So we receive shame, unjustly even, for the exaltation of others. That's example number one. By the way, it takes a lot of humility to do that, doesn't it? It takes a lot of humility to live that way. Example number two, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. This is the scene, most likely, of a legal transaction. Someone has brought a formal legal suit against you. And they have made claim to your tunic. Now, a tunic is just sort of like a shirt. It's not anything fancy. It's not anything important, special. It's just a shirt. It's not very expensive either. But a cloak, a cloak is a whole different story. A cloak was an expensive, important piece of attire. This is what kept you warm in the winter. This is what you would sleep on if you were outside and you needed a place to stay. Like a cloak was a big, essential, important piece of attire that you needed. When Paul was imprisoned later on in his life in Rome, he says, bring me my cloak. Bring me, and they're like, why do you need him to bring, like can't someone just go get you? No, bring, because cloaks were important, they were expensive things, and he said, I need my cloak. He probably needed it just to survive the winter. So what he's saying is if they make claim to your tunic, and by the way, it doesn't say whether they make fair claim or not. Regardless of whether they are right to sue you or not. If they make claim to your tunic, go ahead and give them your cloak. So they've asked for this, give them double. Do away with any reason for them to make claim against you. This is the picture of going into court and someone suing you for $20,000, maybe for a bad job done or for some sort of whatever it is. And you say, I tell you what, judge, I'll pay him $40,000. He asked for 20, I'll give him 40. Will that, will that take care of it? And I think everyone would go, that'll work. We can go home now. This is the picture that Jesus has painted. Give no reason for offense against you. So if someone asks for this, Give them even more than that. This is generosity. This is generosity on display. They have sought to dishonor you by making claim against you for this. Give them more. Here's the final picture. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. We've heard this verse before, haven't you? There's actually a significant context to this particular statement by Jesus. Under Roman rule and Roman authority over Palestine at the time, Roman soldiers had the legal right, as they were traveling down a road, to just randomly tell a Jewish person, a Jewish citizen, to take their pack and to carry it up to, guess what, a mile. They didn't, it wasn't a suggestion, it wasn't asking. It was something they could do and they could command these Jewish people to do. And the Jews hated the Romans for this. They hated 
the Romans for this law. This was an act of shame on them. That a Roman citizen would say, you there, carry my bag. And they would be obligated at that point to drop whatever they were doing, wherever they were going, and pick up his bag and carry it for a mile. They hated the, the, the Romans for this. So Jesus is digging in hard right here with this example. So what happens if someone forces you to go one mile? Jesus says, I tell you what. He says, tell them, I tell you what, I'll go two. I'll go two. We embrace that shame. We don't fight. When we are attacked, we do not respond by attacking back. When someone takes, we, not do, we don't respond by taking back. When someone asks, we don't respond with no. We give more. This is incredible service displayed in, these, in this verse. We serve people at the expense of our own honor. You know, as I, I, can, as I continue to study and understand the, the Gospels and Jesus and his life and the things he does, I realize that, like, for, for these people at this time, like, if you looked at your life and lived your life by the way that they approached honor and shame, you would have never made it as a Christian. But this is the radical picture of what Jesus is trying to get across to these people, that, listen, if you're a citizen of my kingdom, if you're a citizen of my country, if you're a part of my nation and our way of life, it's going to look radically different than the way you've always lived as a part of your earthly kingdom, this world's kingdom. Radically, radically different. And this isn't just a nice thought. This is what Jesus expects from his people. And Jesus has come not just to throw these ideas out there because he wants people to go, oh, wow, that would be cool if there was a place like that. No, Jesus has come to say, yes, I have come to create a place like this. You'll never become like this on your own, but I'm going to bring you back to life spiritually. You're going to be born again. You're going to be given a new life. And in that new life, empowered by my spirit, you're going to be able to do these things. So we are expected to live this way. Not because you're capable of it, but because he is capable of making us this kind of person. The expectation is high. It is not enough for us as Christians to say, yeah, I mean, that'd be a great place, wouldn't it? I just don't know if I'm capable of that. Empowered by God's spirit, born again through the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, absolutely you're capable of it. You're expected to live that way. So these are serious, sacred things that Jesus is teaching in these verse. And there is a high expectation that we live this way. He is telling us how to live. That when people come against us, that we we find ourselves attacked, we do not respond like the world by attacking back. We respond with what? We respond with humility in a way that elevates people, even if it means shame on us. By the way, the cross looks a little bit like that, doesn't it? Jesus kind of embodied these things a little bit himself, don't you think? That when someone asks something of us, we go above and beyond what is asked of us and generously give even more. 
And when someone unfairly demands something of us, even to our own shame, we do double. We serve. We pour out our lives for others. We drop what we're doing and we commit ourselves sacrificially to others' needs. This is the picture Jesus is painting. And Christians, by the way, have lived this way. I want to close with an illustration, a quote, a long quote, a bit of a wordy quote, quite frankly, from a Christian leader and apologist, which means defender of the faith, from the second century. This man's name was Athenagoras, and Athenagoras said this to co-emperors Marcus Aurelius and Commodus, the emperors of Rome in the late second century. In making a defense of Christianity, he said this. He said, allow me here to lift up my voice boldly in loud and audible outcry, pleading as I do before philosophic princes. For who of those that reduce syllogisms and clear up ambiguities and explain etymologies, or of those who teach homonyms and synonyms and predicaments and axioms, and what is the subject and what is the predicate, and who promise their disciples by these and such like instructions to make them happy? Who of them have so purged their souls as instead of hating their enemies to love them, and instead of speaking ill of those who have reviled them to bless them, and to pray for those who plot against their lives? On the contrary, they never cease, these same teachers he talked about in the beginning, on the contrary, they never cease with evil intent to reach out skillfully the secrets of their art and are even bent on working some ill, making the, this is a great statement, making the art of words and not the exhibition of deeds, their business and profession. But among you, but among us, you will find uneducated persons, artisans, and old women, who if they are unable in words to prove the benefit of our doctrine, yet by their deeds exhibit the benefit arising from their persuasion of the truth. They do not rehearse speeches, but exhibit good works. When struck, they do not strike again. When robbed, they do not go to law. They give to those who ask them and love their neighbor as themselves. He was pretty good with words. It's a beautiful statement from a second century Christian, or from a second century Christian leader, about the way Christians lived and how it was different than the way Romans lived. It's a high calling to be a Christian. Jesus teaches us a different way to live. And he expects us to live that way, not because we're capable in our own ability and our own power to do so, but because he has come to give us new life and by his spirit, empower us to live this way, the right way. And when we live that way, we will look radically different than the culture and the world around us. You might look at that and say, that's hard. Yep, absolutely. But this is the way of his kingdom. And if you are a citizen of his kingdom, born again through what he has done for you in his death and resurrection, empowered by the spirit, of God that has come into you and indwelt in you, you have what you need to live this way and be this kind of person. 
And the goal is that as we grow, that this is what becomes home for us. This is our home. This is our country. This is our nation. The ways of this world, they look foreign. They look strange. I don't like them. The ways of Jesus and his kingdom, this becomes home. Let's pray. Jesus, your word teaches us how to live, how to live in the new life that you give us in your salvation. We've looked at a small, small glimpse of what that life looks like this morning, but in it we see what is radical and different from the way the world does things. I pray that this truth would be impressed upon our hearts and our minds. I pray that the seriousness of obeying your commands and living the way you call us to live would be on our hearts this morning. Spur us on to be this kind of people. May Broadway Baptist Church be the kind of place that lives out these kinds of words. May someone like Athenagoras today be able to say the same about Broadway Baptist Church and the people here. Continue to teach us to live rightly as faithful, worthy citizens of your kingdom, as those who imitate you in the way you live. Thank you for, for Jesus being the ultimate example to us of the right way to live. You ask nothing of us that you have not lived out and embodied perfectly yourself. So we know we have everything we need because of you to do it well and to do it right. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to hand things over to Zach as we enter into a time of invitation. This time we want to open up the altar to anyone and everyone at this church. Uh, specifically, I, I want to speak to uh, the students here this weekend. Uh, that this is a time for you to come before the king and bow under the weight of his glory. Uh, some of you this weekend, I, I know, I know because there are leaders at your homes and they've talked to me. I know specific students who need to respond after talking to their leaders. You need to come. You need to repent of your sins. You need to trust in the Lord. This is the time. This is a time. And for those and the congregation, this is a time for you as well. If you've been changed by the word and you need to respond, please come at this time. not guaranteed. You do not know what today, the rest of today brings. 
Do not delay. Do not delay. This opportunity, won't, it won't remain open forever. <laughs> we won't stand up here all afternoon. But this is a time. This is a time to respond. This is a time to do something radical, to do something different, and say, I'm not a citizen of this world anymore. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. on our hearts, much, uh, much from the Lord that he wants us to hear. Hopefully we have received. Uh, so let us go out and live as citizens of the kingdom, making an impact uh, on the world around us, looking different. Uh, such an amazing opportunity. It, it has been an amazing weekend. There's, uh, there's a lot of things I want to mention because uh, the band, they're going to close us in a song. When they finish the song, we'll be dismissed. Uh, but I personally am so grateful and thankful uh, for all the volunteers that helped this weekend. Uh, so many people stepped up. Just very uh, humbling for me. I've seen the, the people who, in their works and their desire to help, that they are citizens of the kingdom. And I know our church is filled with those people. Uh, ever since I arrived, there's been just pe person after person come to me and say, what can we do? What can we do? What can I do? How can we help? And the spirit in this church, it is alive uh, in us. So uh, that is awesome to see. So thank you to all my volunteers. Thank you to the church uh, for helping make this weekend a special time for our students. Thank you for your gifts. Uh, before I came to this church, you know, I, I know many of you know Scott Huff. He just raved about how awesome this church was. This church just gives. Like, they give like no one's business. If you need anything, you just ask, and they'll give it. And you guys help make this weekend possible make this weekend possible because of your giving. Uh, so thank you. It really, it wouldn't have turned out the way it would have without your generosity, without your giving. So uh, thank you in that regard. And to our students, uh, I'm proud of our students and to give a kind of a brief report of the weekend. We had 27 students with Broadway that were a part of this weekend. So, um, you know, awesome. Awesome to see them be a part, invite friends. And then we had uh, several other churches join us uh, for the worship sessions as well. And two churches that kind of did everything with us this weekend. Uh, over the course of the weekend, we had, I think, 55 kids that were a part of this weekend in some form or fashion. So uh, just awesome to see. You know, this is something I hope we do every year. Um, so grateful for Josh and his time and and preaching the word all weekend long. And and lastly, and the band also, and I want to mention something, uh, you know, about them. Um, you know, I, I worked, I was working with what I had, and, and I talked to Ben several months ago, and, you know, we, we agreed, you know, we agreed, okay, here's what we're going to do for you, everything, and he, he had such a willing spirit to do everything, just the, I, they, they have been ideal guests, everything that you would want out of guests, they have been gracious, uh, humble, 
in so many ways, but all the people in the band, they've, they've really sacrificed a lot. They've sacrificed a lot of time. <laughs> They're not receiving a lot monetarily, and they've been here. They drove, you know, 13, some of them 15 hours from Oklahoma to get here. Uh, they sacrificed a lot of time, and uh, as we dismiss, uh, if I could have some, some ushers at the doors or the exits, uh, we'd like to take up an offering for them uh, for, uh, as a thank you. Because um, I know, you know, maybe not just you've been blessed this morning, but our students have been tremendously blessed um, uh, by the band uh, this weekend. Right, guys? Um, so... Uh, you know, as they finish in song, if I could have some ushers at the doors, at the exits, um, give your gifts. I will go to the band. If you write a check, write it out to Ben Noble. He's over the band. Just write it out to Ben Noble, uh, and he will uh, he'll make sure the band uh, will get their, their share of it. So uh, as we dismiss, I just want to pray, and I'll let them close us in song. And when, when they finish, we are dismissed. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, thank you for this weekend. And the spirit that's been at work, your spirit, we praise you. We praise you for every gift. Lord, we pray for the continued work. And that our hearts would be set upon living in your kingdom. For that's the only place we want to be. And we look forward to that, that ultimate day when your kingdom has filled the earth. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, we'll see you